The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited, featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota, let's go places. JBL and Clarifier, registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. State of Digital Publishing is creating a new publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Danielle Cronin, editor of the Brisbane Times, about her career to date, how Brisbane Times became a market leader in Queensland, and the overall state of Australian media. Let's begin. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Great, thank you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I appreciate it as well. I know you've been covering the Commonwealth Games and there's been a few other things happening in Brisbane lately. So how, how's that going? How How was that? Well, it's been quite an interesting time. There's been a bit of controversy over the opening and closing ceremonies. There's also been some real uh, highlights as well, including the para-athletes in the main program of the Games has been amazing. Really enjoyed watching that. So, yeah, hectic but fun. That's great to hear. Um, just for everyone who I, – I usually – my audience is usually international and I'm from Sydney, so it's it's a very – I'm very stoked to have someone from Australia. Uh, Daniel's from Brisbane, from everyone, everyone who's listening. So if I can just pass it over to you, Daniel, if you can just provide a bit of background about you and, and where you are at the moment, that would be great. Fantastic. So, uh, Daniel Cronin, I'm editor of the Brisbane Times – I guess I was infected with the journalism bug as a 14-year-old when I had work experience with a local community paper. Wrote my first front page and was sort of hooked from then and it's uh, been a career which I've practised in regional areas, capital cities and a little bit of overseas. I guess usually people who start in journalism in Australia usually start, go to the outback, uh, usually, usually go to regional so that they can then build their profile and get more serious opportunities um, in city. Is that correct? Is that how it usually works? It does. So after I graduated from uni, I started at a paper, a city west of Brisbane, which uh, was my first foray into paid journalism. And then I did go country for a, a little while. I'm definitely a city girl. So it was a fantastic learning experience. I got to do stories if I was on a bigger masthead or a metro masthead, it might have taken me years to be able to do. Uh, so that was a great learning curve. And then from there I went to the national capital. So it was a big change. <laughs> Before we go into that part, um, what's your current role look like now and how, how are you set up and how is your team set up at the moment? Um, so at the moment where Brisbane Times is quite a unique proposition. So 11 years ago, it was an extraordinary move for a major news company to launch a standalone digital news site. And I say that for two reasons. Like at the time, most online news sites were digital incarnations of an existing paper and Fairfax doesn't have a paper in Brisbane. And it was launched in a market where News Corp has a metro monopoly and Fairfax doesn't have the legacy like it does in Sydney and Melbourne. So it's pretty exciting to be at the forefront of building that legacy in Brisbane, particularly southeast Queensland. And more recently, we launched the new masthead for Metro Sites, which is very modern, faster, cleaner, more immersive. So that is also exciting. In terms of our newsroom, um, we're in the Brisbane CBD. We have 15 staff, reporters, producers, a person responsible for off-platform publishing, such as social and newsletters and me. Um, we have a couple of regular columnists who are celebrated authors in their own right, John Birmingham and Madonna King. Cool. We operate seven days a week. About 50% of our readers are younger than 44. But interestingly, one in five of our readers are in the 65-plus age group, which is great. And that's pretty much, in a nutshell, Brisbane Times, the cheat sheet. That's a very good summary. And, and your role is managing 
just no, besides off platform, what, what was the other roles and responsibilities? So in terms of me, uh, I managed the the team, the website, the off platform, like newsletters, social media, any other areas we want to experiment in. And then I'm also the point of contact for Fairfax in Queensland. So uh, my role involves communicating with the other Metro masthead newsrooms. Uh, when there's a big breaking story, we kind of lead the coverage and work with our colleagues around the country to get the best possible stories. Nice. And I believe there used to be editor-in-chief as well until he recently left. Is, is there no one taking that position at the moment or are you pretty much running that aspect of the role as well? Yeah, that, that aspect of the role falls on me. So it's kind of an editor slash news director role, which which is fun. So maybe in more traditional newsrooms, editors are kind of one step removed, but I, I'm kind of in the thick of it, which I, I enjoy. I think it's, uh, yeah, just getting hands on everything, it's exciting, I'm sure, for sure. So you, you alluded to the fact that you went to Canberra, the capital, and spent quite a bit of time. Yes. So that means you, yeah. So a lot of people who don't know, usually who people who go to Canberra usually cover uh, political journalism and are in the press gallery. So it'd be interesting to hear your experience and and you know how you got into the press gallery and what that entailed. Yeah, no problem. So I guess it's a lifelong love of politics. My early memories of watching election coverage with my grandfather, he was sort of this really gentle man who would become very shouty when the result failed to reflect his political leanings. I spent seven, several years in the Federal Press Gallery and it was a pretty remarkable time. So I was thinking of some of the things that stuck in my mind and it was a few conscience debates on therapeutic cloning and to strip the health minister of the power to deny women access to the so-called abortion drug, RU486. It's also the apologies to the stolen generations and former child migrants. And then I guess the icing on the cake was the, the coup against the first-time Prime Minister, swearing in of the first female Prime Minister and a hung parliament. So I kind of sat back and thought, oh, I can't really top that. But little did I know that it was pretty much a front-row seat of a new trend in Australian politics. Working in the press gallery itself, it's fiercely competitive and and demanding, but it's really one of the best experiences available in journalism, particularly for those who are interested in politics. So in terms of working in the press gallery, is that uh, having access to the lower house, the House of Representatives and Senate, when you wanted to sit in and, and see what the politicians are speaking about and then also having your own space there just to do reporting for your for Fairfax? How, how did that work? How does the setup work in working for in the press gallery? Um, so you can go into the pub, uh, you can go into the press, the press gallery part of the chambers at any time. So typically, you know, something about the conscious debate, conscience debate that I was mentioning, I would sit in the Senate for that. I would go every day to question time. So sit in the front row behind the speaker and also then we would have an office in the press gallery itself, which is on the Senate side of Parliament House. So at the time I was there, there were six of us in that team and we would have some people focusing on particular policy areas and some people focusing on the politics and people writing opinions and features and all those things. Six people seems pretty pretty large like is that because of the how comprehensive the conversations are and the debates are in in parliament or uh, i know you said that you broke it up into different formats as well that might be another reason why yeah i'd be interested to look at that well it kind of fluctuates as well so it was six at the time we now have a fairfax national federal political bureau so that includes reporters from you know sydney melbourne canberra whatnot who work together so it kind of depends on how busy Parliament is. Uh, it depends on, you know, how much resources a particular masthead might have that they want to devote to federal politics. When I worked for the Canberra Times, it was a, a pretty important part of our coverage because so many of the decisions made in the big house affected the people directly in the community, heavy readership of public servants, 
people that were involved in contracting to government. So that was at that time. And I guess as everything in the media, these things sort of change. And sometimes you might have a smaller bureau, sometimes you might have a bigger one, just depending on how much you want to invest in covering it. So I know that there's the Canberra Times as well, which is the local uh, Fairfax masthead there. Mm-hmm. Is there any reason why Fairfax decided not to just have all the federal politics and coverage journalism just covered there, um, as opposed to having that overlap between the different states? Or like, do you see that having the overlap between the different states an advantage in just having your own unique coverage for your state? Well, the federal political bureau, I think, is great in the respect it, that it draws specialists and experts from around Fairfax Metro Masthead. So we have, you know, one of the most respected economics correspondents in the country who works there. We have an amazing sketch writer. So they all bring unique and remarkable skills to the table. So I understand why you would look for the best people throughout the group to try and bring together in a bureau so that you could play to your strengths. And and Fairfax readers are really interested in federal politics, so and they do a remarkable job down there. No, definitely. It is one of the um, most spoke about topics. So what would you say in your experience there, what were some of the highlights and what were some of the challenges? I know you spoke about some of the key, like with the first female prime minister and some of the events that were some of the highlights, but what would you say is the best aspect of, for someone who wanted to get into political journalism, the best aspects of working for the press gallery in specifically? There are lots of them. You know, the ones that I mentioned what an immense privilege to witness those key moments in Australian political history. There's also the opportunity to meet and interview some remarkably smart people who are developing policy. You get to see laws made. Uh, You get to see some of the theatre of parliament in terms of question time. You get to meet some really interesting people. And also you you meet journalists from around the country and you get to cover federal election campaigns, which are very interesting and and pose their own challenges. And particularly if you're interested in politics, I think it's probably the big game for, for aspiring political journalists. I was just trying to think, in terms of some of the challenges, it, it's it's fiercely competitive and it's definitely not a level playing field. So... For instance, the Prime Minister's office might have a preferred masthead and no matter how hard you work and how many hours you put in, you just can't break through in those areas. So that's a challenge. But it's also a levelling field as well when you have things like estimates and and federal budgets because that entirely relies on your ability to read, understand the document and ask the critical questions. I understand. Are there any digital only publications there that try to get that have access to the press gallery? Because I know Fairfax is on. Yeah, good question. I'm not sure who the current tenants are. The Guardian Australia has a bureau there, so I guess that's one that I know off the top of my head. I'm not sure about others, but um, political journalism has changed a lot in recent years sort of servicing the web and coming up with the unique story to splash on the front of the paper makes it more complicated but also more exciting. You can get stories out there in a heartbeat and then develop them through the day. So developing them through the day would entail just having like uh, follow-up stories around it or refreshing the existing article? Is that what you'd consider as developing the story? Well, it could be a range of things. So it could be, for instance, you're updating the story with reaction comments or you've got a fresh angle on it so you create another story to kind of build off that. You might chime in with some analysis if it's a big story, get one of your experts to write something or an external expert to write something. Um, So there's all different ways that you can develop that through the day. 
And are those some of the techniques that that is being taught in between Fairfax and Australian media in general to, to try to engage audiences and build rapport with audiences? Or how, how would you see that? If there's, if there's like a ongoing story that's taking place, how do you see the um, journalists and media professionals trying to develop that rapport with, with the audience to keep them up to date? Well, uh, it depends what the story is. So, for instance, if it's something like a big cyclone or the tragic events of Greenwald last year or the year before, you might consider a live blog. So that would keep people up to date in real time. If it's something that's not moving that quickly, then you might consider doing a first take and then fleshing that out and then leaving that for readers to comment and then get and be engaged with and then move on to look for a fresh angle for the next edition or the next big refresh. So I think there's a range of ways and I don't think there's sort of one size fits all. I think in a way the story kind of dictates the form that it should take. In Australian media in particular, who, who makes that decision on whether or not it should be a live blog versus just being a refresh of the article, for example? Is that, is that going to, does that sit with you currently with the Brisbane Times or who makes that decision? Well, if it's a Queensland story, then yes, it, it rests with us. So we decide if it's worth live blogging or not. And I'm sure it's the same in other mastheads that it's made by um, senior members of the newsroom. Live blogs definitely have interesting, there's interesting opportunities in live blogging, particularly when you're dealing with a weather event. Sometimes people will live blog a ceremony, which might be a bit more kind of voicey than a traditional blog. But with weather events, really live blogging is very useful because you're often interspersing like pocket interviews with people on the scene with vital information that people need to know to keep themselves safe. Okay. So just to be clear, there's a few there'll be a few people like let's let's look at Brisbane Times specifically. There'll be a few people within your team that come up with the editorial decision. It's not doesn't only rest with you. Is that correct? Well, the the final decision rests with me, but we're a very egalitarian newsroom, so I'm open to all ideas from everyone. Yeah. So how how does that work? Like, let's say if if a journalist or content producer comes to has an idea and wants to come and put together something, how how does that process work currently? So are you talking in terms of live blogging or just in general? Just in general, like if they have an idea and they think that it will be a good angle for the audience to read and, and consume, that maybe you haven't factored before. Yeah, so if they, they're working on a story, sometimes they'll run past me some ideas they have. Sometimes I'll commission particular angles that I think are worth pursuing. If someone comes up with an idea of something new that we could do, we, we look at the idea, we interrogate the pros and cons, and because ultimately you want to make sure that you're, if you're investing your time, it's something that could be a potential benefit. We definitely foster at the BT a culture of people having a go, trying things, but we always make sure that if, you know, we celebrate those wins and if something fell short, then we look at why it fell short and have kind of honest feedback on that. But, yes, definitely important, particularly in the digital space, to encourage every member of your team to come to you with any ideas they might have and and also to use members of your team as sounding boards for particular ideas. I know I know BT is more um, state level and then there's also the uh, re- local level publications as well because I've been speaking to the UK and US journalists and, and, and in their, their local and regional journalism efforts and a lot of them have regional they have beat journalists, so they would go and dig up, for example, look through um, government data, find the commonality or an issue that's happening in that state or region, and they would then do in-depth journalism. Is that something similar that happens in Australia, do you think? And do you think that could be something which can be done more in Australia? Because I see that happening more often in the UK and the US than, than Australia. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, some of the stuff that's being done in those countries, absolutely. At BT Brisbane Times particularly, we're heavy users of open data, like government open data. So pretty much every member of my team at some point will use open data to either create 
an interesting angle on a story or can be the story within itself. In terms of beats, uh, so to speak, we definitely have people that are assigned to be breaking news reporters, um, but they also have special areas of interest as well. So in those times when they're not doing something like today where we had a house fire which in which three people died, when they're not doing those sort of stories, they can look at science stories or data stories. We also have a dedicated state political reporter, so they cover state parliament, and we also have an urban affairs reporter, and their job is to focus pretty much on Brisbane City Council, which is actually the biggest council in Australia, so big job for her, and then also look at sort of those urban affairs stories, similar to the work that's being done by City Lab, which is great, and they look at how we live why we live the way we do, how to make the city better, that sort of thing. That's interesting. So it's, it's from what I hear, um, it's in that there's more specialists focusing on those uh, local and like, regional issues rather than having looking at specific topics of interest, I guess. Yes, so we've sort of shaken it up a little bit because coming from a newspaper background, you know, you have a particular beat and that's what you focus on but my team all have a specific area of interest. So it might not be that you write, you know, three stories a day every day, but you will cherry pick the best ones that you find or, you know, the great unique stories that you can do and then they write, they work on those. That makes sense. And how does community engagement currently play a factor in journalism for BT and, and across Fairfax? Well, it's pretty critical. It was kind of one of the things that really underpinned the redesign of our new sites. So there are so many players who've set up in Australia, existing mastheads are doing well, so many people vying for attention, noisy, it's crowded. But I think readers, the true measure of success, and this is something that astute mastheads and advertisers have pivoted away from page impressions as a measure of success and are focusing more on the engagement with with the work that we do, the quality of that engagement and also the readability of the home page or the article page. So does um, in terms of the specialist reporters, like the, you said a housing and urban was one, like would they go and do town hall, town hall events or like not town hall, like that's more of an American term, but more like community gathering events to help uncover stories and, you know, deep dive on a specific issue? Is that something that you guys would do more actively? Yeah, we're pretty active. So we go to the council meetings, which are once a week, and the committee meetings. So that's on a Tuesday. So that reporter would go to those. But it's also about looking beyond just what happens in City Hall. And we use a range of techniques like it's Tech, it could be contacts. It could be monitoring Facebook groups to see what people are talking about. It could be looking at open data or requesting data on a particular thing that can develop into a story. So there's a range of avenues that we look at and it's not just about sort of going to the meeting. There's also petitions which are sometimes interesting, questions on notice, tender documents, all those areas can sometimes generate cracking stories. What's some of the recent ones that has been covered by BT that, that you're proud of from the team? Oh, there's a lot. There was a few recently. We did a big expose on a local government leader, which resulted in him facing some extra charges. Uh, we also did an investigation into the interstate trade in waste and how there were some interesting dynamics in that was resulting in southeast Queensland becoming a dumping ground for New South Wales. We've also done some really interesting stuff in state politics about policy in terms of actually one of my favourite stories of recent time was um, a story about a couple that were living in a rotunda by the Brisbane River and had nowhere to stay. So we went and spoke to them and just hearing their story and how they were coping with their circumstances was a really powerful story. 
you know, I think being able to connect on that human level also makes makes it more immersive and makes it much more gives more sympathy to to what's being written as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With Fairfax and I guess having that uh, nationwide network, is that something that you guys leverage more often, or how does that how do you guys work together to, to you know cover nationwide news and and cover more get a big audience that way? Well, it's great because you know we have some big investigations that we um, that we have. It means that people in all the states can read the great work that's being done in that field. In terms of logistically, we have a national news conference twice a day, and that's the opportunity for people to pitch their best stories and also discuss opportunities to build on those stories. The other way, we use Slack. A lot. We use Slack for inter-office communication, which is really handy. So, for instance, something like if there's a breaking news story like yesterday with the fact that all the uh, supermarkets' cash registers went awry and no one could pay for anything, you can quickly check if anyone on breaking news teams in other states is working on it or whether you should get someone here to do it. Um, We also use Google Docs a lot. So, we use those to kind of share our best stories and then it's up to each masthead whether they want to promote it on the homepage or not. So it's great. Even though we're quite linked nationally, it's really amazing how much autonomy you have in terms of the news decisions that you make for your readership. And are the other mastheads ever placed in terms of trying to – are they trying to ever compete with each other? Or are they just focusing on the local market as well? I, d- I don't think there's competition because we all serve a very different readership, both geographically. There is, I guess, an overarching wh- who is a Fairfax reader, but for the most part, most of the mastheads, they, similar to the Brisbane Times, have their really strong, compelling local stories as well as the great national stories that are done by the teams that cover business or federal politics or entertainment or lifestyle. Each masthead has kind of marquee columnists as well, but they're also ones that write for across Fairfax. So I mentioned before we've got two like accomplished authors who write for us once a week, but that means if they do something that's of interest nationally, then they homepage editor in Sydney or Melbourne might promote it on their homepage as well. So I think it's the best of both worlds, if that makes sense. So great, great collaboration and cooperation as well as the autonomy to make the news decisions based on your understanding of the readership. That's that's clear. How do you you see the current landscape, Australian media, digital media and journalism landscape at the moment? I know it's a very broad question. Yeah, I think it's pretty healthy. I think I mentioned earlier... We've had so many new players set up in Australia and the existing mastheads are doing really well. There's lots of players vying for attention. But I think the thing that always is top of mind is you don't need to be the shrillest to survive and thrive um, in digital media. I believe the readers still respect quality and we have a very loyal readership which is wonderful and also a huge responsibility because they I feel that they have a vested interest in in how we do things so that's really good and I think too there's a lot of interesting experimentation happening in the Australian digital media landscape seen recently one masthead dip their toes into crowdfunding for a specific type of journalism which I think is interesting and also which master was that uh, so the Guardian Australia did a crowdfunding campaign to report more on environmental issues. Yeah, so that was that was pretty interesting. And also, too, one of the interesting things about the landscape at the moment is definitely got some of the major mastheads pushing back against Facebook and Google particularly. A few years ago, it was acknowledged that Fairfax um, were a bit slower in, in, in digital transformation and there was, you know, advertising was going, the revenue was going down and, you know, there was a, at that time as well, Guardian, New York Times and some other international players also and Half, Half Post, which is now 
diverged, also went into the market a few years ago. How do you think that events, those events impacted on where BT and Fairfax is today? Well, I think I think from our latest um, report to shareholders, we're in a really strong position. It's, you know, there have been some some tough years in the last few years, but we seem to have come out of those. And, you know, the the huge investment in a entirely new CMS, new page builder system, and sort of new templates is that's a huge investment for a media company and sort of sets us up to be a modern newsroom that can pivot quite quickly if we want to try something online. In terms of where we're sitting with the rest of the industry, I think we're in a really good position. I want to say, you know, it has there has been some pain, but it seems that we're in a rebuilding phase. And it's also too interesting. Fairfax is definitely committed to, you know, continuing its newspaper business, which is great because all the avenues to tell great stories is a is great for a community. And do you think that TV might like in in terms of the public's point of view? Do you think TV is still a big factor in journalism? Like, is it? Do you think that they see that as more waiting? There's more waiting in that as opposed to online editors and online newsrooms. It is interesting. I think every new development in terms of spreading journalism has sort of being construed as the death of the one that came before it. You know, we've been predicting the demise of newspapers, the demise of radio, the demise of television. I think if you put a newspaper out on the market today with people having no historical knowledge of it, they would go, this is amazing. I can get all my news in this paper. I can also use it to line the, the bird cage after I'm finished. I can use it to clean the windows. I think there is definitely space for all the platforms. I think what matters more is is the storytelling itself because I think regardless of the platform, there's always going to be an appetite for compelling, cracking storytelling. And whether it's um, on an online news site or a television broadcast or whatever, we've seen it in podcasting, like how popular that's become because of the compelling stories that people are telling or keeping people apprised of industry developments like this podcast does. Do you think demographics has played a role in what kind of storytelling, the format that storytelling presents itself as? Yeah, I've, I don't think there's an easy answer to that because I think there's not like a clear trend. So, for instance, I mentioned earlier, we've got, in terms of our readership, we've got 18% of our readers are 14 to 29 mm-hmm. and 19% are 65 plus. So for a site, that is a huge gamut of age groups. I think there are, you know, a cohort of, of younger people who like a particular style of journalism that they might flock to that. I know there are also ones that don't actually seek out the news and just curate it through whatever social platform they're on. So I don't think there's a neat answer to that question. That said, we have a very strong like younger readership and they are loyal and they come through the homepage. So that kind of challenges the assumption that people don't have that level of loyalty to a masthead and it's not if they don't identify where source of information comes from and, you know, they don't distinguish between something that someone sweated over to create this amazing story and something that someone has just picked up and churned and put a snappier headline on. So, yeah, I don't think there's a neat answer to that, but it is really interesting to look at where it's going. It is. Everyone texts their own. I guess everyone can draw their own insights from it and try to develop their own audience development strategy from that. In saying that, what do you see the current audience development with? Let's talk about the news redesign because you've mentioned that a few times and let's talk about the audience development strategy that you're focusing on as well with your team. So with the new website redesign, uh, you mentioned that it was part of the um, strategic initiative by the overall Fairfax Media Group to be able to compete and and be able to pivot when you can, whenever you want. 
when was the redesign for those who don't know when was that redesign when did that redesign take place and what's been the results so far and what do you expect to be able to do more moving forward from that so um, we were we were the first site in August last year it's now rolled out to the Sydney Morning Herald the age and there's two more mastheads to go so the idea was to build um, a CMS and a homepage editing system that would promote readability, would be fast, fast loading, would be clean and modern, and also teamed with that, making sure that we were focusing on the right things in terms of engagement over page impressions, which is kind of like comparing sort of fast food to a proper meal. And then looking at the readability as well, because anyone who consumes any journalism or or articles online knows that if it takes too long to load, you're more than likely to jump up, jump off. We've also integrated into it some um, work that's been done under the Coral Project, which is pretty exciting, and that's been integrated with Slack. So we use that for production and messaging and planning and whatnot. We've also got a few features that are kind of interesting in terms of tags. So that makes it a bit more immersive for people. So instead of relying on someone to embed a hyperlink or relate a story, they can look at a particular tag and and they'll find different stories that they might be interested on that topic. And one of the other things that's kind of interesting is shortlist, which kind of reflects the fact that people might start the day on mobile, they move to desktop, then go to iPad. Through using that list in terms of um, you can actually click on the stories you want to read and just read them in one go. So it'd be interesting to see how that pans out because it's, it's kind of like how if people use Pocket, you might consume news. Um, but in this case, it, it uh, creates a list for seven days and you also get to keep your reading history as well. Well, what was that decision made around trying to trial that feature? So it was made by a project team that kind of looked at where consumption and reader engagement was heading and sort of giving people that option. It, it's, I guess it gives the reader more control over what they want to read. So if you're dipping in and out through the day, you might be presented with the homepage as the editor sees it, but you might be more keen to read something that's sort of further down the site, but you might have to go somewhere. You can easily just click on the plus button and then it sits in a short list for you. And then if you're on the bus, you can read that on your mobile. Similarly, you know, you can read it on the iPad later. So the project team, they, they did some research and they come up with a hypothesis that, that having more curated content or personalised content would is more beneficial to the audience and having that feature would the process. Is that correct? Yeah, so they went through a range of hypotheses around, you know, website design, website uh, usability, engagement, some of the things that people might like to use. And also, so the end result is is what we have now. But it's pretty exciting as well because the way it's built, if we do decide that we want to try something, it's quite quick to update. You know, some CMSs, you have to have a long lead time and it can take months before it gets on the schedule to be built and rolled out, whereas we can turn things around quickly, which, you know, to be a modern, responsive new site it's critically important I think what's one of the recent examples that you've been able to turn around quickly that you want that you want your team yeah to build out good question well um for instance got a new live blogging tool um we've got a feature template that's just been rolled out which is pretty amazing there's a lot (laughs) there's about uh 100 items on a google spreadsheet somewhere but I don't want to bore you (laughs) So before before the redesign, you guys had, the, the, I guess the process was a lot more longer and you had to try to do it more than that. Yes, you had to, it had to be on like a list of developments that we want to have and then there was a lead time in that. So that's kind of shortened that time, which means we can be more innovative and more responsive. That's exciting. How do you take the next level in in identifying new audience trends and 
better connecting with your audience using beyond age groups? What are you guys at the moment using to better monitor performance and and audience development? Uh, in terms of how we measure our audience or how we engage well, how, with them? Measurement, yeah. Okay, so we've got a range of tools. We use Chartbeat, Google Analytics. Uh, we have a, a analytics dashboard that was created within Fairfax. So that gives us a bit of an idea about it's all about quality page views and what percentage of the page views on a story were deemed quality and that's a metric that we've set within Fairfax to decide that someone has really jumped into this story and read it. There's also we separate out how many returning and new users come to a story. So we've got a range of ways of measuring them. We also obviously have... We, we have an insider panel, which is fantastic. So they're a group of loyal Brisbane Times readers who respond to questions once a week. That's interesting. And then looking at the subscription product online, what are some of the initiatives that you, that BT is looking at to help improve, improve online subscriptions? I'm assuming that advertising still plays a major role for the websites, right? Well, we're, we don't have a subscription model in a paid subscription model, so... Okay, it's mostly relied on advertising demand revenue stream. Yes, yeah, so um, advertising is uh, what pays the bills for us. Understood. Uh, is there any roadmap or any plan on having a subscription or other diversifying your revenue streams? Um, I think it's something that's always looked at, but there's no immediate plans. And is that something that you would decide or is that something that um, Fairfax would decide for the Mastheads? Yeah, that's... That's above my pay grade. So Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and the Australian Financial Review all have subscription models, um, whereas Brisbane Times, WA Today and Canberra Times don't have a subscription model. Brisbane Times and WA Today are online-only sites. The Canberra Times has the online site plus a newspaper, so they have newspaper revenue as well. And why was it decided that Brisbane Times shouldn't have a sub subscription offering? I guess I'm not sure exactly why. It's, the decision was prob was made before my time sure. here. But I suspect it's because, as I mentioned earlier, Brisbane Times was quite an extraordinary move to set up in a town that's dominated by a legacy brand with hundreds and hun more than 100 years, I think, of establishment in the state. So I think if you go too early, maybe the thinking was that it could hamper our ability to, to challenge. And it's also to sort of a lot of media companies were a little slower than some of the other countries of looking at subscription models. So I'm not sure exactly why the decision was made, but I'm guessing that was part of it. What would be like the tipping point where you can say we're now the leading Brand or leading on an online publication in Brisbane and in Queensland, and and what do you mm -hmm. see the tipping point of potentially looking at other products like a subscription offering? Well, I think um, subscription offering decisions are above my pay grade, so I, I don't want to speak for my big boss. Um, I think we've already absolutely cemented ourselves as a leading news brand in southeast Queensland. Um, like I said, we've ha we have really loyal readers. They come to us multiple times a day. Uh, so I think we've definitely cemented ourselves in that place. Now it's kind of thinking about is it mass audience or engaged audience? And uh, we're really going for the engaged audience. So that's a different proposition than something like, you know, for instance, the Daily Mail or all those propositions. So the ultimate decision on whether BT goes to subscriptions would be made by someone far more senior than me. But we, we are, yeah, we are up against um, a masthead that has a very tight paywall, and they also have just purchased, well, recently purchased uh, a string of regional dailies. So the concentration of media ownership in Queensland has got even significantly higher since that happened. So they've pretty much got mastheads from far north Queensland down. 
And what's your 2018 initiatives to um, increase engaged journalism within BT? In BT? Um, there's lots of um, interesting things that we're doing. So we're looking at ways to kind of build on some of the things that I mentioned earlier. Also, I guess ultimately it's about storytelling and looking at the innovative ways that we might be able to tell stories in the future. I think it's going to be interesting to monitor in terms of um, the Australian media scene is the crowdfunded reporting, if that becomes more of a thing, whether Mastheads are successful in pushing back against Google and Facebook. And also to um, preparing for perhaps less reliance on Facebook, you know, making efforts to reclaim reader engagement from social media, whether that's through advances in commenting or exploring other off-platform publishing options or events or something else that remains to be seen. So those are some of the things that kind of are on the agenda for the year ahead. Anything planned that you have concrete that you can share with us? or <laughs> Not in the immediate future. So um, some of the things that we're looking at is maybe some different ways to tell um, state political stories. We've also been doing some work with pop-up newsrooms with universities. So we did one for the Commonwealth Games, which was pretty interesting. So those types of things. Also experimenting with sort of immersive storytelling and how to tell a story in a new way and engage people. So those are some of the areas broadly that we're looking at. So what, what does immersive journalism mean to you? Is that, is that more using VR, AR, or is that just having in-depth content? Or what's, what does more immersive journalism I would love to be able to tell a story in VR, but the uh, availability or the use of headsets is a problem. I think it can mean a range of things. It can mean bringing in different mediums, so whether it's um, you know audio, video, it could be using marrying on-platform and off-platform options. So, for instance, telling a story but combining that with something, you know, whether it's a playlist or whatever it is. So that's kind of interesting. And also allowing readers to kind of control a little bit about how they interact with the story. And also using comments as well, which um, there's some interesting work being done in terms of making the comments stream more interactive with people in the newsroom. Personally, as editor, I'm looking at ways to engage more with the community. So I haven't settled on a particular way to do that yet, but I've got some options that I'm looking at because what we mentioned earlier, there are so many amazing shiny things out there. It's about working out the best one to reach the people and engage with the people that you want to. So whether that's going to where they are or using something that's not used widely but hoping they'll come with you. So it should be a really exciting year um, and also there'll be developments in terms of what we have on the websites as well. Digital media at this time, is, it's it's a beast. Like it's, it's very much rapidly changing and there's nothing which is constant. So it just makes it harder, but at the same time we're excited to figure out all this, I guess. Absolutely. Daniel, just to, to wrap this up, I guess, I'm keen to hear, given your, your years of experience in both political journalism and editor, being an editor now and looking at your local journalism, what's your advice for digital media and journalists that are looking to get into the either of the fields that you've been in, uh, aspects of the role that you've been in, and yeah, what, what advice can you give them to make the mess, most of the opportunities out there? Yeah, so I had a good think about this and I think it's an excellent question. Um, I kind of subscribe to um, the theory of the late, great David Carr from the New York Times. Um, he has this great quote about having the media's gone through this really tough period but we're entering a golden age in journalism and he pointed out that his backpack contained more journalistic firepower than an entire newsroom that he walked into 30 to 40 years ago. So I guess my best advice is... Try to master as many story forms and storytelling mediums as you can. So text, audio, vis visual, social, the list goes on. 
while the industry is definitely smaller than it was, you know, even five years ago, there is still a value placed on compelling storytelling from whether it's live blogging to life long form. Um, it doesn't matter. I think value your reputation. It's the most important journalistic tool that you have and can be easily forfeited and cheaply forfeited. And um, just be curious, tenacious, flexible and commit to lifelong learning so you can keep across all those changes that you were mentioning just before. And what do you look for yourself ahead in terms of your own career development? Well, I'm pretty interested in what I'm doing now. I haven't really thought too far ahead. So it was pretty exciting to have last year and be able to um, use the new system. So I'm just hoping that the BT goes from strength to strength. And personally, I'm super happy with what I'm doing now. And I think coming from a newspaper background, which which I love, I, I still love newspapers, but what I love about digital is that the shackles are taken off. You can cherry pick from any form of journalism, any medium, any tool, and create something amazing. So to me, that isn't old yet, so I'd like to do a bit more of that. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time. from dad <clears throat> all right save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with progressive can i take these off all right what is this this looks good wow that's what man where did you get this i'm talking to you with the hair yeah where did you get this it's good stuff that's solid that's not veneer that's solid stuff progressive can't save you from becoming your parents but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural sight from the makers of 5-Hour Energy. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com.